So the scripture reading for this morning is John chapter 5, verses 21 through 30, and then Revelation 20, verses 1 through 15, starting in John. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, in order that all may honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear shall live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs shall hear his voice and shall come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment." I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then in Revelation 20. And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the abyss, and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he should not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were completed. After these things he must be released for a short time. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus, and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will Come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. 
and death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that you are a just God, Lord, and a merciful God. And you show us that there will be judgment for wickedness, Lord. You will not allow wickedness to endure uh, forever, only for a time, and then you will uh, judge righteously, Lord, and you will save your people. Lord, we pray that today as we uh, dive into these passages, Lord, that we would be uh, edified and encouraged, Lord, uh, and that we would see the, the application just of the urgency of, of these things and the necessity that we be found in Christ, Lord, uh, at that time. Lord, uh, we just thank you uh, that we have the opportunity to meet together like this uh, openly and hear the word every week. It's an immense blessing, and I pray that we would all be very, very grateful for it. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. Good morning. This is the uh, second of two messages on everybody's favorite theme, judgment. <laughs> Before we go back to our, <clears throat> our discussion, our examination of 2 Corinthians, and y'all have, bear with me a little bit, I'm still nursing a COVID cough after three weeks. I've been well for two weeks and the cough doesn't want to go away. Last week, uh, we talked about one standard and because of one standard, one gospel. That standard of judgment that God applies to every human being in all ages is His own righteousness. Um, we talked about from Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, verses 17 to 48, Jesus began that, <clears throat> that portion of the Sermon on the Mount by saying, unless your righteousness surpasses that, of the scribes and Pharisees, the most devoutly religious people at that time, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And we said that the question that was left out there is, by how much? By how much does my righteousness have to surpass theirs? And as Christ works his way through that, that chapter, we see a standard that, uh, that takes the bar that the Jews thought was here where they could reach it, and it, it shows that it's way up there where God is. And the last verse of that passage, of that, uh, that chapter says, Jesus says, therefore you are to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's a no compromise standard. It's God's righteousness or none at all. Christ is the only human being who ever walked the earth who met that standard. We looked at Romans chapters 3 through 5. Paul's saying the same thing that Jesus is. He's saying there is none righteous, not even one. There is no one who is good. There is no one who even seeks after God. There is not even one. He says every mouth is closed. Every man is accountable to God. And then, he says, but the righteousness of God now is manifested through faith. The righteousness of God, which is through faith in Jesus Christ. And then at the end of chapter 5, he makes this amazing statement in verses 18 and 19. And he says, he said, it is by one righteous act of one righteous man that all who are justified are justified. All who are declared righteous in the eyes of God. One righteous act of one righteous man, just like it was one sin 
of the first unrighteous man that condemned us all. It is the one righteous act that, that redeems. So there's one standard. And if we, if we go any other direction with that, we come up with all kinds of theology that just doesn't match up with God's Word. There's one standard and there's also one judge. In John chapter 5, and I'm reading verses 21 to 23 again, Jesus said, Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life, Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, in order that all may honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Those verses tell us that if human beings don't acknowledge that Jesus is the one who's going to judge them, that He's the one they have to answer to, then they don't honor God the Father. And that has amazing ramifications. That means that people who say they worship the same God we do, but that Jesus is just a good man, He's just a great prophet, but they're not going to have to stand before Him in judgment. They're, they're not correct when they say that they worship the same God we do because you can't worship a God you don't honor. At the same time, those who say that Jesus is just too nice a guy to ever, ever execute condemning judgment against anyone, they don't honor God the Father because they're not acknowledging Jesus as judge. This is a, this is a big deal. And there's a, there's a whole lot that, that depends on this. We have one standard, the righteousness of Christ. We have one judge, the righteous Christ. And a little further down in John chapter 5, it says, the Father gave Him, the Son, authority, this is verse 27, authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. That phrase, the Son of Man, focuses on the humanness of Christ. The perfect, sinless humanness of Christ that was spoken of in the worship today. Only, only the perfect, sinless man can judge sinful human beings. No one else is qualified. All right, one standard, one judge, and one deserved judgment. Now, I'm going to say some things some of you may disagree with. That's fine. You know, it, you're supposed to challenge everything that you ever hear from the mouth of a human being. And that includes me. Test it with the Word. But I, all I ask you to do is listen, think about what I say, look at, test it with the Word. I trust what, what God, what the Spirit through the Word does in all of our hearts. Even if that means He straightens me out. One deserved judgment. John chapter 5, verses 25 to 29. Listen to this, and I'm deliberately skipping one verse. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and all, all those who hear shall live. For just as the Father has life in Himself, even so He gave to the Son also to have life in Himself. Now, those two verses, I believe, are talking about the spiritual resurrection of everyone who comes to faith in Christ, that which now is, and it's also pointing forward to the bodily resurrection of those who have faith in Christ that is going to come 
in God's perfect timing. And then he goes on. He says, do not marvel at this for an hour is coming. Now he doesn't say, and now is. An hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs shall hear his voice and shall come forth. Those who did the good things to a resurrection of life and those who did the evil things to a resurrection of judgment. So, there's going to come a time when everybody who's in the grave is going to be raised up and those and they'll be tested according to their deeds. And those whose deeds are good deeds, as God measures good, will have eternal life. And those whose deeds are evil deeds, they will have judgment. Now, if we go back to Matthew 5, how many are in each of those categories? How many did the good deeds, according to Jesus in Matthew 5? Well, as God measures good, none of us. Right? As God measures good, which is by the standard of Jesus' own righteousness and no other standard, we all failed the test. And if we're judged according to our deeds, and we're going to talk a lot more about that when we get to the great white throne judgment in a minute, we're all going to fail. Praise God, we will not all stand on the to-be-judged side of that judgment. Now, Matthew 19 in the rich young ruler passage, just familiar passage to many of you, when this uh, rich young ruler being a ruler of the Jews, being probably one of the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish high council, and he comes and he says, teacher, what good thing... This is uh, Matthew 19, 16. What good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? Great question. And Jesus said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. In Luke 18, the parallel passage, Jesus says, uh, there is no one good but God alone. Now, Jesus is the good, he is the one who's good. He's the one who's perfectly good. And he's standing in front of this man and he's baiting him, but the guy doesn't have a clue. Right? He doesn't get it. And so then Jesus says, okay, if you wish to enter into life, just keep the commandments. Well, in Matthew 5, what did Jesus say about the commandments? He said, if you even insult your brother, if you even look upon a woman to lust after her, you are a murderer and an adulterer and you are worthy to go into hell. He doesn't mince words. So, keep the commandments. You know what that does? That condemns. Paul said that the law is our tutor to lead us to Christ. The law makes no one righteous. This is, this is Christianity 101, guys. The law, law-keeping, makes nobody righteous. All it does is leave every mouth closed, every man accountable to God with zero defense, condemned. So, Jesus, as I said before, is saying the same thing that Paul does. Now, going to Paul, Romans chapter 2, this is along the same lines 
as the setup and takedown that Jesus presented. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, starting at verse 4, Do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and of revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will, listen, who will render to every man according to his deeds. And then he gives two categories. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, to them eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. Say, okay, I got it. If I, if I persevere in doing good and I seek for glory and honor and immortality, then I get eternal life. And if I'm selfish and disobedient, then I get eternal condemnation. At least I know the categories, right? How many are in each category according to Paul? Keep reading. Go to chapter 3, verse 9. What then are... This isn't like way later in the book. This is the next chapter. What then? Are we better than they? We Jews better than those Gentiles? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Gentiles are all under sin. And it, and it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Okay, so how many are there who through perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality? Zero! Paul's own argument. Why do we stop reading at chapter 2? All are condemned. He, he comes down, he says, Verse 19, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law that every mouth may be closed and every man accountable to God. Because by works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The law condemns. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Not our righteousness. The righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. In other words, God's been talking about this for a long time. That is the righteousness, righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For all have sinned. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified how? As a gift. As a gift by His grace. That's redundant. As a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. We all deserve one judgment. It's an even playing field. The only human being who ever walked this earth who met God's standard is the Lord Jesus Christ. The rest of us, if we're judged according to our deeds, we fail. Miserably. Not a little bit. It's like trying to jump across the Grand Canyon. Some people get a little further than others. Lenny, you know, I mean, he's an ultimate Frisbee guy. He would probably get a lot further than me, but he's still going to end up at the bottom. 
There's one standard. There is one judge. There is one deserved judgment. And beloved, there is one escape and only one from that judgment. And for us who are believers in Jesus Christ, that judgment has already been done. John 3, verses 16 to 18, on the banner, it used to be on the end zone, uh, and on banner, some guy always had it in the end zone at every football game, you know, John 3, 16. I don't know if you, do they still do that? I don't get to watch much football. I was a big Cowboys fan when I was a kid, but I don't get excited anymore about it. For God so loved the world, and my brother Bob Deffenbach explains the so there very well. He says, in this way. It's not God loved the world so much, it's God loved the world in this way. This is how He loved the world. That He gave His only begotten Son so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through Him. And then verse 18 is very important. For he who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That already is a really important word. It's the same thing that we find from cover to cover in Scripture. In Genesis 6, God looked down at mankind and He said, Every thought of man's heart is only evil continually. After the flood, it got way better, right? No. Every time he addresses Israel, he says, it's not because of your good stuff that I'm blessing you. You're stubborn and stiff-necked, and you've been that way since the day I had anything to do with you. And that's what he says to us. We are Ephesians 2. We are lost and dead in our sins apart from Christ. We are children of wrath. That means we are people who are headed toward the wrath of God. All of us apart from Christ. There's only one escape. And it's right there in Romans 3, 21-25 and John 3, 16-18. And then John, one of my favorite verses. You guys know this is one of my favorite verses because I cite it all the time. I was 16 years old, came across this verse right after I got saved, and it just blew me away. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has already crossed over out of death into life. Does not come into judgment. The word for judgment there, the noun form is krisis. I love it. It's a Greek word from which we get the word crisis. This is the biggest crisis of all, guys. The condemning judgment of God. That's what he's talking about. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, that means if you believe the testimony of my Father, which has been going on for a long time by the time John was written, right? The prophets spoke of Jesus. You know, on the road to Emmaus, I think he, Jesus had to walk slowly when He was on the road to Emmaus with those two guys at, at, in Luke 24 because uh, He had a lot to tell them from the Old Testament about Himself because the Bible has been talking about Jesus from the very beginning. If you hear My Word and believe Him who sent Me, you have eternal life. 
present tense. You do not come into judgment. You have already crossed over out of death into life. That applies to every person in this room who, whose trust is in Jesus alone. Now we're going to spend some time talking about two resurrections and two outcomes. Let's go to Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 to 15. We read it. Uh, I'm not going to read it all again, but the, uh, what I'm going to do is go to a little bit of a timeline. And we get in trouble with timelines, right? Because I remember a guy handed me, uh, dear brother handed me a book on the four major schools of thought on eschatology, which is end times, right? Each, and as I read the book, I realized each of those four major views broke down into about four more. And there were big differences between each of the subcategories. So it was 16 major views of end times. Guys, when we stand before God, there will be one thing that we will all have been very wrong about in some regard, and that's eschatology. So let's not bite and devour each other over it. So this timeline, guys, this is just the best I can do with Revelation 20. And I'm not going to try to, I, I don't want to, to dot all the, the I's and cross all the T's. I want to look at the big picture. So please see it as nothing but that. In Revelation chapter 20, First thing that happens is Satan is locked up in the abyss for a thousand years. It's not hell yet. It's just a, it's just a holding place for a long time. Uh, an angel throws him in the abyss. Personally, I think that's going to be the cherub that replaced him when he rebelled against God. And shut it, sealed it over him that she, he should not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. And now here's where I want to pick up. And I saw thrones, verse 4, and they, and they who sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image. That's the henchman, the earthly henchman of Satan for a time, the beast. Those who had not worshipped him had not received the mark on their forehead and upon their hand, and they came to life and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Would you believe that's a literal thousand years or that's, that is just a, an image for a, a much longer period of time? Or I don't care right now. Uh, we can talk about that offline if you want. But they came to life and they reigned with Christ. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. Who were the rest of the dead? Unbelievers. The believers came to life and reigned with Christ. And then it says, this is the first resurrection. Please, please make note of that. This is the first resurrection. And then it, and this is great. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So it says it again. Now, those who have part in the first resurrection, the second death has no power over them. What's the second death? Well, he's going he's to tell us in a few verses, but it's hell. Second death. First death is the death of the body. The second death is the death of the spirit, eternally separated from the presence of God and from the glory of his power. In other words, from everything good forever. 
Those who have part in the first resurrection don't have any part in the second death. That's really great. Now, I think, and you can go where you want with this, I think the first resurrection, while here it's focusing on those who come out of the tribulation period, faithful to Christ, I believe that the first resurrection is not just a one once-in-time event. I believe the first resurrection is the resurrection of all those whom the second death doesn't touch. And so in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, when it says the trumpet will sound and the, those who are dead will rise first in Christ, dead in Christ will rise first, and then us who are alive waiting for Christ will come right behind them and we will meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall ever be with the Lord. I think that's, that's part of the first resurrection. And this is another part of the first resurrection. You with me? Whether you agree with me, I'm just asking if you understand what I'm saying. Okay. I think what sets the first resurrection apart from the second is that those who participate in the first, the second death can't touch them. Okay. Now, over these, the second death has no power. Resurrected saints reign with Christ for a thousand years, then Satan is released. Well, before I get to that part, Satan is released in verses 7 through 10. Satan gets released from the abyss, and then he does what he always did best. He's the great deceiver, so he goes out and deceives the nations, and he gathers up a multitude like the sands of the seashore. Can you imagine? Messiah, the perfect king, has reigned on earth for a thousand years, and the first thing people do when Satan's released is follow him. Kind of tells you a lot about the nature of man's heart apart from Christ. And then comes the shortest battle in the history of the world. All, the, all these people that, that Satan has rounded up to come up against the holy city and Christ and the saints, and they're arrayed around the city and fire comes down from heaven and poof, and the battle's over. And they're all toast. And at that point, death and Hades gain a large population increment. There are a lot more people added to death and Hades, which at that point is just unbelievers because the believers are with Christ. They're part of the first resurrection. The second death has nothing to do with them. And then comes the great white throne judgment. Verse 11, And I saw the great white throne and Him who sat upon it, that's Jesus, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. Does this sound like a place where you want to be on the to-be-judged side of the throne? No. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things in the books according to their deeds. They're judged according to their deeds. And what happens if we're judged according to our deeds? We fail. And so it, that fits the narrative because then it says, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them and they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. So how much, just if you stop right there, how many of the people that, are, that were raised in this resurrection, this second resurrection, how many of them end up in the lake of fire? All of them. 
This is the second death, the lake of fire. Now we, now we know. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You know what qualifies you for heaven? It's not your deeds. It's that your name is in the Lamb's book of life. It's that your robes are washed white in the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 7. And you stand spotless and blameless in the sight of God only because of what Jesus did for you. That's what Bob talked about this morning. Only because of what Jesus did for you. After this comes the eternal state. The new heaven and the new earth. Chapter 21, next verse. Chapter 21, verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. Revelation 21.3 is the fulfillment of the central promise of the entire Bible. God preparing a place for his people, redeeming a people to be his, putting them in that place and dwelling with them right in their midst forever. You find that promise from cover to cover. You find the template for it in the Garden of Eden. And you find that fulfillment that, that promise in all four of the, the major covenants in the Old Testament, and then you find it fulfilled here. This, that's the, the fulfillment of the plan of redemption. The rest of Revelation 21 and 22 are about that marvelous place. All right. We've talked about judgment. We've talked about the, the one judge, the one standard. Uh, we've talked about the one judgment that we all deserve and then the only escape being the blood and righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's talk about what the Bible says about the judgment of believers and this won't take long. First uh, Corinthians 3, great passage. In that passage, and we're not going to read it, but in that passage, uh, essentially what Paul says is that and by the way, after he talks about, about Christians who are like mere men, they're so fleshly that they don't look much different than unbelievers, he, he comes in this section of the chapter and he starts talking about uh, this judgment that's going to happen. And a lot of people kind of misunderstand this, but it's, it's not that hard. It, he says, there's one foundation and it's Christ, and we build you and I who belong to Christ, we build into the lives of other people on that foundation. And how we build into the lives of other people on the foundation of Christ, that's going to get put to the test in the last day. I don't know exactly when that happens. I think it probably when we're resurrected and we stand before Christ on the big resurrection day when, when Christ comes and takes a bunch of us home. I don't know. It doesn't, we don't have clear clarity on the timeline there, but we stand before Christ. We are, our, our works that we did, that we built on the foundation of Christ, are tested with fire. 
Some of those works for some people are going to be hay, wood, and straw. What's happen what happens to those things when you expose them to fire? Okay. For others, it'll be gold, silver, and precious stones. And those will, those will endure the fire. They will remain. And, and the passage says, if a man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. If the man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Yet so is through fire. So is this talking about condemning judgment? No. This is talking about, this is, this is now talking about what God does with his children, with those who belong to him. And, and it says that he puts, our, he puts our works and the lives of others to the test. And there's either a reward or there's not a reward. And, but when it says that we suffer loss, guys, I'll come back to that in a second. Let's, let's talk for a minute about 1 Corinthians, the next chapter, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time. This is Paul is still talking to Christians about Christians. He says, therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and will disclose the motives of men's hearts, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. Do you guys realize that a day is coming when we'll stand before Jesus and every thought that we ever had, every word that we ever spoke, every deed that we ever did is going to be exposed to the light of Christ and, it, and it'll be all visible. Won't that be wonderful? You know, I can't think of anything more humiliating than that. But here's, what's, here's what I find just amazing. On that day, the only thing that we're going to care about is the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if exposing the wretchedness of my heart that He redeemed glorifies Him, then I'm going to be all for it. I will not, you will not be arguing with God about, with Christ about His assessment of your life. You will be saying, Hallelujah! Can you imagine what it will be like when everything that can be known about us is fully known and we still stand spotless and blameless before Jesus covered by His redeeming blood and His perfect righteousness so that God looks at us and He sees the righteousness of Christ. Who's going to get the glory on that day? Jesus and nobody else. Certainly not me. Whatever crowns we get, we just cast them at His feet because He is the only one. He is the only one. He is the only one worthy of glory. Revelation chapter 5, worthy. This is, <laughs> this is what will be said about the Lamb on that day. Worthy art thou to take the book, and this is, this is what will be said when the time is right. Worthy art you to take the book, to break its seals, for you were slain and you purchased from God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and you have made them to be a kingdom of priests to God, and they will reign upon the earth. And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriad upon myriad and thousands of thousands, 
saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and glory and honor and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, rocks and trees and animals and everything that God has ever made, says to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever and the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. <laughs> we won't be arguing with God. Beloved, Romans 8 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. And he gets all the credit. Jesus gets all the credit. You know, we have passed, we who trust in Jesus have passed out of death into life. We've crossed over. And we will not ever face God's condemning judgment. It just isn't going to happen. God wants you to know that. God wants you as His child to, to know that with rock-solid confidence. Because the life of a believer is supposed to be a life of gratitude. And you're not grateful for what you're not sure that you have. And this promise just pervades God's plan of redemption. This is, this is what everything is about that God is doing for us. He, he made us His own by the blood of Christ. So what? What's the application? Well, like I said last week, if you, if you don't have a clue on that here, you're not paying attention because this is as pertinent as pertinent gives. Our lives should be filled with grateful service to the, to the lover of our souls who gave his life so that we could be his. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. I love the song that our children sing. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. Now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace All Day Long. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. That's the gospel, guys. If, if that doesn't make us grateful, we need to go back and look at the cross again. We need to go back and put our focus on Christ. We need to sit at His feet and listen to Him daily, constantly. We need to behold Him and His beauty and His, the magnitude of His gift to us. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. And then... We need to serve Him with all our hearts out of gratitude and we need to proclaim Him to everybody. How can we keep, how can we keep this to ourselves? Until the day that we stand before the Lord, spotless and blameless, in the place He prepared for us, we should be grabbing every hand that we can on our way toward Him and putting those hands in His hand. And He'll do what He intends to do with each person. We need to proclaim the truth in love and tell people that Jesus is the, he is the only way. Loving Father, thank You. Thank You for the power of Your promise, Your precious and magnificent promise in Christ. Thank You, Father, for the, the indescribable gift of, our, of a perfectly righteous standing in the eyes of, a perfectly, of our perfectly holy God. All and only. 
because of the King of kings and the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All the glory, all the credit, now and in eternity, is lifted up to His name. We thank You, Father, in Christ.